Gail Trotter, a conservative voice for you, right inside our nation's capital. Legal and political analysis. Now, The Gail Trotter Show. Hi, I'm Gail Trotter, host of The Gail Trotter Show. Thank you so much for joining me today. I have a question for you. Why does an invented right get more love than a right that's enumerated in the literal text of our Constitution? I feel like this is just a huge issue for us to be thinking about this week. And the reason that this came to the forefront of my mind this week is because there was a Supreme Court case that was handed down at the beginning of this week. And this was something that Supreme Court watchers and Second Amendment lovers all over the country have been paying really close attention to because it's essentially the first case in 10 years that the Supreme Court has really taken up that addresses a core civil right of our Constitution, the Second Amendment. I want to tell you today that it is reprehensible that the Supreme Court refused to stand up for our constitutional right to keep and bear arms. And this right is enumerated right there in the black and white text of the Constitution. I have three points about this that I want to share with you. Your constitutional rights are under attack. Now, we I'm going to link down below to this email from the Virginia Citizens Defense League talking about what's going on in Virginia. I grew up in Virginia. I went to school in Virginia. I don't live there now, but what is happening in Virginia is happening in many states across the country. In Virginia, they saw Michael Bloomberg of the failed billion dollar presidential campaign invested a ton of his money into Virginia to make Democrats get elected who supported his restrictionary gun control philosophy. And he succeeded. The Democrats were able to take control of the governor house and the general assembly, which is the legislature of Virginia. And law-abiding citizens because all of these gun control Democrats were elected, they have no firewall left against gun control restrictions being passed in Virginia. So the Virginia Citizens Defense League updated us that 23 gun control laws were passed in this year's General Assembly, and 27 of them failed. You might remember that we took this show on the road to the capital of Virginia, Richmond, Virginia, to report on the Second Amendment rally that took place. So even though the Democrats took over the General Assembly and the governor's house, there is a strong opposition to these gun control uh, laws being passed. And there was some success at getting 27 of these not to be passed into law. Now, I think it's really important for you to know that all of these gun control laws restrict on the law-abiding citizens' rights, and they do nothing, nothing to reduce crime. I want to give you some examples of laws that pass. A red flag law that has a lot of implications for due process and taking away people's rights before there really is a provable reason to do so. Also, there was a law that increased the ability of local governments to pass gun control ordinances and regulations. A much stronger background check law was put into place that is really unnecessary and doesn't do anything to keep guns out of the hands of felons and those who intend harm to other people. Another law that passed was one handgun one handgun purchase a month. If you're a law-abiding citizen in Virginia, now you can't purchase more than one handgun a month. Why on earth 
does that have any basis on reducing crime? It doesn't make any sense at all. It is illogical. The second point I want to share with you today is about these two conflicting views of our Bill of Rights. One of the views targets the Second Amendment in particular. And I'm going to link down below to my Senate Judiciary Committee testimony because I go into depth about how these two views are in complete opposition. So when you look at the Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms, the constitutional text expressly guarantees this constitutional right. And this is a right under our Constitution that is guaranteed to the people. Only two other places in the Bill of Rights are rights guaranteed to the people. That's the First Amendment, the right to assemble and petition your government, and the Fourth Amendment, the right to be uh, secure in your, in your property. And if we go from the Bill of Rights and we look at the jurisprudence by the Supreme Court, the rulings that the Supreme Court has made on the Second Amendment, it's very important to know that there was this case, D.C. versus Heller, about 10 years ago, that set out that we have a right to keep and bear arms. And it struck down a D.C. law that impinged on that right. So the Supreme Court in Heller upheld the individual's right to keep and bear arms and struck down that D.C. ordinance. But if you look at the dissenting justices' opinions in Heller, it's very instructive. The dissenting justices claimed that a local law could ban private possession of any form of an operable firearm because, quote, the adjacent states do permit the use of handguns for target practice, and those states are only a brief subway ride away. And they saw this as being only a minimum burden on the Second Amendment, as if a law-abiding citizen who was suddenly confronted within the jurisdiction of D.C. by a criminal who wanted to do that law-abiding citizen harm, that somehow the citizen could coax the criminal onto the subway so that they could go into another jurisdiction and the citizen could use the Second Amendment right to defend themselves. How absurd. But seriously, that's what the dissenting justices in Heller said, that it was a minimal burden and then you could just go to another jurisdiction. Now, when you think about that, this is in complete opposition of the way the justices look at an invented right. For example, abortion. Abortion is not in the literal text of the Constitution. A right to an abortion is not in the black letter of the Constitution or the Bill of Rights. These are two dramatically different views of the Bill of Rights. So on the one hand, the dissenting justices in Heller are the same people who support this invented right and think that anything that gets in the way is a burden on that invented right. And yet, for the right that's actually in the black letter of the Bill of Rights, they think it's fine that you would have to go to another jurisdiction to take part of that right, to exercise that right. And when you think about that, it's just crazy. It's upside down. And when you put that into the perspective of how does that even make logical sense? Because there might not be a jurisdiction nearby. That was just the way it was at that particular time. And now we're seeing, they're talking about, uh, for D.C. people, that Virginia, you would have that right. Well, we're seeing that the gun laws are being changed in Virginia as it is. So it just shows you how illogical that kind of uh, judicial philosophy is about constitutional rights. 
So my third point that I want to share with you is about this case that came down this week from the Supreme Court. And I believe the Supreme Court grievously erred in mooting the Second Amendment case from New York City. You might have followed this a little bit. There was an ordinance passed by New York City that told licensed law-abiding gun owners that they couldn't take their licensed handgun from their residence in New York City and transport it for competitions or target practice outside of the city of New York. Now, apparently, the city of New York has seven recognized gun ranges, and six of them require a membership, and only one of them is open to the public. So it's not unreasonable that someone who's a law-abiding licensed gun owner would want to go to Connecticut or another place in New York to exercise their right to uh, keep and bear arms and get practice and participate in competitions. So I am going to link down below to the opinion in this case, and I commend you to read Justice Alito's opinion on this, but I'm going to outline it for you here. He talks about the really underhanded behavior of New York City after the they pass this ordinance, then they're not allowing the people who end up suing to exercise their Second Amendment right. And the city fights them in litigation, expensive litigation, for five years. And then as soon as the city finds out that the Supreme Court has taken up this case, which was surprising because, as I said, the Supreme Court hasn't really heard cases on this for about 10 years. Then New York City, in a manipulative way, decides to change the law so that they're allowing the citizens to take their handguns out of New York City so that they can argue to the court that, well, we're not violating anyone's constitutional rights anymore, so this case is moot. You should dismiss the case. And uh, Justice Alito talks about this as being docket manipulation and how New York City sprang into action when the Supreme Court decided to review this case. Uh, he says it's like you're manufacturing mootness in order to evade review. So he talks about how there's this voluntary change of conduct, and this is after five years of intensive litigation. So these people who decided to sue, they can't exercise their rights for five years. And then because the Supreme Court decides to take it up, the city goes, oh, never mind, never mind. And also on top of that, I've talked about this previously, there is an amicus brief, meaning a friend of the court document that was filed by five U.S. senators, including Sheldon Whitehouse, that threatened restructuring the court if the court did not dismiss the Second Amendment case out of New York City. And it's very important to understand Justice Alito talks about how their cases per percolating up challenging federal, state, local laws. So that would be like the Virginia laws that were just passed. Uh, they're going to start being lawsuits against those laws. So this is going on all over the country. And the justice says most of those lawsuits have failed. So you're seeing this rapid encroachment across the country of your Second Amendment constitutional right to defend yourself. And Justice Kavanaugh uh, 
had a separate opinion from Justice Alito, and he acknowledged that Alito's concern that some federal and state courts may not be properly applying Heller and McDonald, which is the case that was a companion case to Heller, essentially saying that states could not do this either, not just the District of Columbia, but also the states. So let's look at the regulations of New York City. Just to be a licensed firearm owner, it takes at least three in-person trips to a government office. You have a $400 registration fee. You have to renew your license every three years. You have to specify the handgun, the address where the handgun will be stored. You have to say all of your addresses, all of your employment for the past five years. You have to answer very intrusive questions. You have to say how you'll safeguard the handgun, who will take custody of the handgun if you're dead or incapacitated. You have, a, you, you have to agree to a rigorous police investigation into your mental health, criminal history, and moral character. You have to get your fingerprints taken. You have to have an in-person interview. It takes six months to process. I mean, it is just exhausting to think about that. And because of that, a very tiny percentage of citizens in New York City have gone through the licensing process. So the city passed this law prohibiting these law-abiding gun owners to take their, their handguns out of the city for competitions or for target practice. And the city argued that this law was necessary to protect the public safety. But then after the Supreme Court took up the case and the city changed the law, they said, oh, no, we don't need it for public safety. When the case was argued, I'm quoting, the counsel for the city asked whether the repeal of the travel restriction had made the city any less safe. And his unequivocal answer was no. Justice Alito makes the very important point that even when the city changed the law, they did not make it completely unrestricted. Instead, they said it had to be the law-abiding gun owner had to have direct travel to the place where the, the law-abiding citizen was going. And then there was a question about, well, can we stop on the way and use the bathroom? Can we get gas? Direct travel, that's a, that's a pretty strong restriction on the ability to travel from New York City to somewhere else. And when asked, the council for the city said, well, what's reasonably necessary? But Justice Alito makes the excellent point, this is hardly clear, and we do not want vague laws. We don't want people getting trapped up in things where they don't understand where the lines are, and it almost seems like this is deliberately vague. Um, Justice Alito says there's no idea where the city draws the line. And when you look at whether or not this case should have been mooted, if you have the ability to get compensatory damages or nominal damages under the the federal statute that allows for attorney's fees and damages, if you have a chance of getting that, then think of these, these poor citizens. They spent five years of litigation on this case. They have been harmed. They didn't go to competitions that they had decided to go to. They've been harmed. And so to moot it really takes away the way that this is looked at in other civil rights violations, and it also takes away the impact that these particular law-abiding citizens and all the other people in New York who weren't part of the suit, but the, the rights that they had restricted. And 
I just love this part of the opinion by Justice Alito. He uses an example. Well, let's say if instead of the Second Amendment, we're talking about the First Amendment, and the city passes an ordinance that says, you can only publish an editorial in your paper if you get prior approval by the city ahead of time. And then the news organization sues, and then the city says, oh, we don't mean that. We'll repeal that. We'll put a new law in that says, you have to get prior approval if it deals with this particular issue. And this is really well illustrating Justice Alito's point that the city didn't completely cave. There's still restrictions that are subject to constitutional challenge, and it's really ir irresponsible of the Supreme Court not to engage on the merits of this case. Then Justice Alito did the perfect example, the one that I was talking about in my point too, about how this, the court seems to favor the invented rights over the rights that are in the, the actual black, and, black letter of the Constitution. So for example, what if a state put in a law that any woman wishing to obtain an abortion has to submit certification from five medical doctors that the procedure is medically necessary? Let's assume that a state does that. Then the woman sues and says that's unconstitutional. Then the state says, okay, uh, we're going to repeal that law and we're going to put a new law in that says you have to get three doctors to certify. The woman goes back to the court and says, that's unconstitutional. Then the court does what it did in this case, and it says it's moot. So then the state goes back and says, well, you only need to get certification from one doctor. You can see how this is a constant attempt by liberal state governments to try and regulate the Second Amendment. And I can tell you what, the Supreme Court would not allow that kind of burden. Those same justices with that view that invented rights have more, uh, should have more respect and more support from the Supreme Court than the Second Amendment. They would certainly argue for that. So Justice Alito, in his opinion, engages on the merits of the case, which is essentially saying, well, if the court didn't moot this case and we actually engaged on the issues that are presented before the court, here's how I would rule. And he says, of this case, the New York law restricting uh, the law-abiding citizens' rights to go to another uh, place for target practice or for competitions, he says it's not even a close question. He talks about how Heller, the Supreme Court's decision, uh, taking away the D.C. rule preventing law-abiding citizens from having handguns in their home for self-defense, that Heller ruled that that's a core violation of the Second Amendment. And Heller recognized that there were some historical limits on that. Obviously, a, a state or a principality could have laws limiting felons from having a, home, a handgun for their defense. But history provided no support for D.C.'s law. And uh, it's really important to think about this. In Heller, as Justice Alito says, to bear arms implies something more than the mere keeping of arms. It implies the learning to handle and use them in a way that makes those who keep them ready for their efficient use. 
So think about that. If you, if you want to be effective with a handgun, you've got to be able to have proficiency of use and be able to maintain that proficiency of use. Justice Alito says the core right wouldn't mean much without the training and practice that make it effective. And he says it doesn't work if you just say, well, go borrow a handgun, rent a handgun from the target range, because it's not the same as yours. Guns have different characteristics, even if it's the same model. And if you want to be effective at being able to, to defend yourself, you have to be able to have proficiency and familiarity with your own handgun. The city, he says, should have to justify it, not the law-abiding citizen. And Alito makes the case, the point too, that the city abandoned the idea that this law promoted public safety, that there's no history for this type of burden on people. Like if you go back to when the Bill of Rights was adopted, there weren't acceptable laws about this at the time. And the bottom line of Justice Alito's opinion is that the city, the city of New York, violated the petitioner's Second Amendment rights and we should so hold. So we are told that the mode of review in this case is representative of the way Heller has been treated in lower courts. If that is true, there is cause for concern. I'm also gonna link down below to a Wall Street Journal article, and I thought this line just culminates everything I'm trying to share with you in this video. Quote, the court is sending a signal that the Second Amendment is the exception to the Bill of Rights, a second-class freedom. So I just want to share with you, your civil liberties are under attack. Don't expect the Supreme Court to protect your rights until we have another justice or two on the court who is faithful to the Constitution and not afraid of Senate Democrats. Vote so your government doesn't pass laws restricting your rights even if you aren't a gun owner, because we all benefit from a robust Second Amendment. Thank you so much for joining me today. Subscribe down below, hit the bell notification so you don't miss a single of my daily episodes, and comment down below on what topic you'd like me to cover next. Thanks for listening to The Gail Trotter Show, right in D.C. Be sure to sign up for her mailing list on her website, gailtrotter.com. And also follow her on Twitter, at Gail Trotter, as well as on Facebook and Instagram. Subscribe now, it's easy. Thanks for listening. Share the truth. Share The Gail Trotter Show.